Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you again on this uh, Sunday morning, and I hope that you've um, had a great week and you're ready to get into God's Word. This morning, we are beginning a new series. For the next five weeks, we're going to be spending our time in the book of Jonah. And um, I'm really excited for um, what I believe God's going to do through this series and, and the message He has for all of us. Um, a lot of us who have grown up in church, especially, we know the story of Jonah, or at least we think we do. Uh, it's all about a fish. When in actual fact, it's probably um, not much about a fish um, and more about what God is doing uh, and his mercy to, to Jonah, to, to the Ninevites, to the sailors and a whole lot of other things that are going on there. The fish is just uh, a small part of the story, but of course it makes for a great children's book to, um, to have a big whale or a big fish um, and that, that thing happening. So we'll get to that. We'll talk about it. But I really believe that there's a lot in Jonah that God wants to speak to us about and um, I pray that you would lean into whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you about, um, especially this morning. So I'm going to read the first three verses of Jonah. We're going to talk about that this morning and then we'll get into the rest in the coming weeks. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this time together. We pray that you would help us to hear your voice. We pray that you would help us to obey what it is that you're speaking to us about this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over these last few weeks, um, the boys and uh, our family have been riding bikes. We've been getting some bikes off um, Facebook Marketplace and, and we've taught Harry how to ride a bike and Judah, our little two-year-old, has got his little balance bike and he just goes like the clappers. He um, is very fast in that thing already. Uh, and one of the things we've, I've, at least I've had to find myself saying a lot to Judah is, stop, don't go on the road. Stop, don't go on the road. Because without doubt, whenever we're riding the bike along the footpath, he will just look up to me and go, road, road, can we go on the road? And I'm like, stop. And then when I say stop, of course, it's that big why. Uh, and then cries and thinks I'm the worst person um, in the world for saying stop. Now, of course, uh, I have nothing but love for Judah. And when he, say, when he hears me say stop, when he hears me say no with anything, no lollipops, no chocolate, no TV, he sees me as someone who is out to stop him living his sense of what a good life is. He sees me as someone who's out to completely hinder him living well. But my vision for his life is different. Him running on the road is not running towards his life, but from it, because he could easily die. I don't say stop for the reason of preventing life, but for the intent of maximising life. I think when we um, hear this idea of obeying God, sometimes we have this in mind, that when God says no, or when God says go, uh, we hear, God, you're out to stop me living. You're out to, you're out to hinder me living my best life. 
we all live and make decisions based on what we think is the good life. And God comes along and presents a different vision for us. And to obey it means giving up our sense of what the good life is and following his life for us. And so this morning I want to talk about this idea that we can either be running for our life or running from our life. Running for our life or running from our life. When we run away from God's call on our life, when we run away from God's vision for our life, we are running from life altogether. God's um, instruction for us, God's will for us, his purposes for our life are to maximise life, both for us and the people we encounter. It's true for Jonah as well. God had a big vision for Jonah's life and a big vision for how God would use Jonah to reach people for him. Of course, we know the story of Jonah. Give us a wave at the TV, whoever's in the room with you, if you know the story of Jonah. Maybe you've heard it on Veggie Tales. Maybe you've got some kids' books on it. Um, maybe there's songs. And of course, like I said at the start, what we know the story to be about is about Jonah and a big fish or a whale or, or whatever it is that swallowed him up and spewed him out three days later. Um, I know the kids' books we've got at home, Jonah is uh, one of Harry's favourite Bible stories. Um, and it's all about the fish swallowing up Jonah and spitting him back out. And I think that maybe um, hinders our ability to read Jonah for what it really is, a great story of the character of God and who God is and what he wants for us um, today. So let's have a little think and, and, and dive into to Jonah, um, understanding who he is, what um, the book is about, where it fits in the history of, of our faith. So Jonah is a prophet. And when we read the minor prophets in the Old Testament, or any prophets in the Old Testament, we expect to hear prophecies. When we read the, the first verse here, where it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, that is the opening of so many of the prophets. You flick over to the next book in the Bible, I think it's um, Micah, and you read, the word of the Lord came to Micah. And then, of course, what happens after that is Micah gives seven chapters or something of prophecy. But with Jonah, we read the first verse and we're sort of lured into this sense of this is going to be a prophetic book. It fits in the same spot in the Bible as all the other prophecies. But instead, we don't get a prophecy. In fact, well, we get about five words of prophecy in chapter 3, um, which Jonah gives reluctantly, half-heartedly, without much conviction, without much love. And we'll get to that in, in the coming weeks. But really, it's a story about a prophet. It's a very unique book in the Bible. There's nothing really like it. The book of Jonah is not primarily about a fish, but it's primarily about God, his character, who he is. And when we read the book of Jonah, I think what God would want us to do is to see Jonah and to see ourselves in Jonah. To see that we are people of God, messengers of God, on a mission from God. And sometimes we don't do what God is calling us to do, but God will call us back to him. When we read the book of Jonah, when you hear the story of Jonah, there's two main sort of views on, um, on what the book is. And there's this historical tradition. So some people, when they read the book, they, they think it's just a historical account of an event that happened. It's just a narrative. Um, 
The second view, and both are held by Orthodox Christianity, you know, people, scholars, um, you know, are divided on this. Narrative parable is the other one that some people would say. It's historical figure. Jonah is a historical figure, but the events are more of a parable rather than a historical account. The problem is when we start thinking about Jonah, we start thinking about these two views. The thing that comes to our head, especially when we grew up in church, is the fish. Did Jonah get swallowed by a fish? Did he really spend three days in a fish? Did he really survive three days in a fish? And when we start doing that, we're looking at it the completely wrong way. This is not a, a thing about whether we believe in miracles or not. You know, when we, when we say, is it historical or is it just a parable? Really what we're saying is, do you believe God can do that or don't you? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Can God put someone in the belly of a fish for three days and keep them alive or can't he? What do you believe? Do you believe God's a God of miracles or not? And we can whittle the whole thing down to just this debate, whether it was a miraculous thing or not. When I don't think that's the point at all. Whatever view you hold, I'm not here to tell you what view you should hold, and that's a discussion for another time. But the point is, God wrote the story, and we should approach this, we should read the Bible without something already in mind that we want to see affirmed, but rather we read it to let God and the author tell us who he is and what he wants to tell us. And so what I want us to encourage, what I want to encourage us to do over these next few weeks is to put aside our child stories of Jonah, to put aside the things that we've learnt growing up as, um, through church and the movies we've seen, the books we've read, maybe the books we read to our kids, put them aside for a moment and come to the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, afresh, saying, God, tell me what you want to tell me. Just like we've been talking about for the last three weeks, we want to hear the voice of God. God, you can talk to me about whatever it is that you want to talk to me about. I'm not coming with an already made up mind of what this book is about. I'm coming to let you tell me what it's about. You know, the, the Bible's purpose is not to give us good children's stories, but rather to reveal the character of God, to reveal who Jesus is, to reveal his purpose for our life. And Jonah is a great story for this. Jonah is a great story. It's full of wit. It's full of humor when you read it. Um, you understand that it's, it's a bit of a satire sort of story in that it has these characters that are um, generic or big characters. You know, you've got Jonah, the prophet, the messenger, the person of God. You've got these heathen sailors in the boat that, um, you know, uh, in the midst of a storm and, and scared and, and they have their own story. Then you've got the king of Nineveh, who's this big bad and he doesn't have a name. You know, you notice that there's no dates given in Jonah when you read it. There's no um, names given. It's just generic sort of titles and people um, referred to. And when you read the book of Jonah, everything is great as well. Everything is big. Um, and especially uh, as I was researching this during the week, you know, in the Hebrew, this, this idea of great was, um, I think, mentioned like 15 times alone in this short little book of Jonah. The city was great, the storm was great, the fish was great, uh, the sin was great. Everything in this book was huge. It's, it sounds like John, Donald Trump wrote the book. Everything was massive. Um, and, you know, it's just this um, comical book of satire and wit and humour that God wants to, I think, use to help us to laugh at Jonah, laugh at what's happening, 
and then ultimately see ourselves in. I mean, ultimately, that's what satire is, is that we would laugh at it and then see ourselves in the story um, and be challenged because of it. So we've got um, Jonah, like I said. He's the prophet. He's there to give God's perspective on things, God's messenger. But he doesn't necessarily do what God wants him to do. He runs away instead. We've got the king of Nineveh. Again, it's got no name or no dates. We do know it's Jeroboam um, the second or Jeroboam II. Um, and it's, it's strange that he doesn't, he's not given a name in the, in the book um, of Jonah. It's unusual. And the king of Nineveh, Jeroboam, is a bad king. He's an evil guy. He's not a good guy. But he repents. So you've got Jonah the prophet who's going against what God wants him to do. You've got the big, bad, evil king who repents and does what God wants him to do. You've got these heathen sailors who, again, repent and um, turn their hearts to God. It's just this comical um, book. And um, I mean, even the name at the start, Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah means dove, which symbolizes purity. And then Amittai, son of faithfulness. So you've got this pure, uh, faithful servant. And when you read the story, it's like anything but this. Jonah is the most faithless person in the story. And so as we read this, we see that it is a big story and driving home big points. It's sort of like reaching as far as it can to help us see um, the greatness of God, the greatness of his mercy, the greatness of his grace, the greatness of our sin, and to hopefully use it to turn us towards God, towards his mission for us. So we've got Jonah. Verse 2, I'll spend a couple of moments on verse 2 and verse 3. So verse 2, this is the message that Jonah is to give. It says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. So a really simple, clear mission that God gives Jonah. Go and preach. Go to Nineveh, go preach. Go tell that king to repent. Tell them about God. Just go. Again, I think right there, it's, it's clear for us. We can picture ourselves in this story already. The, the mission that God has sent us on is as simple and as clear as that. Get up and go and tell people about me. It's that simple. Get up, go to the people who don't know about me and tell them about me. That's the mission. That's the mandate I have for your life. The mission is clear for us. The way to life is clear for us. God has a mission for us to go on, to be a part of. And far too often we do what Jonah does and we run as far away as possible. Jonah's given this clear mission. And Nineveh, I mean, again, when you know this story and you understand what's going on, Nineveh is a bad city with people skinning people alive, they're killing God's people, um, the king's bad. And so when you read this at the start, you think, well, when Jonah turns and goes to Tarshish, maybe he's just scared. I mean, that would be a scary place to be sent on God's mission. I mean, it's very likely the king would just turn around and say, off with his skin. Um, it's just a scary place to go, and fair enough if he's scared. But Jonah's not scared, and we, la- we later learn this in chapter 4. Instead, he is reluctant to, to go and be a part of what God wants because he knows what will happen. He knows that God's plan will prevail and that his enemies will repent. Read this in Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It says this. He prayed to the Lord. This is after um, what's, what's going on. He's gone to Nineveh and we'll get, we'll get to this in more detail in weeks to come. 
But he prays this. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish. This is why I didn't do what you told me to do. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here's Jonah, upset at God because he's saying, didn't I say this, God? I knew as soon as I would go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, that they would. I knew that when I went and used your words and and obeyed your commands, that it would work. And that's why I'm upset. Because I don't like these people. They don't deserve your love. They, they're a bad people. Jonah is not going because he knows the outcome. His love for God's enemy is not like God's love for God's enemies. And of course, it's over the top. It's dramatic. It's comical. It's the book of Jonah. It's what happens. But again, I think we can learn something here. That our love for the lost is nothing compared to God's love for them. And that's why we don't go like we should. That's why we don't tell people about God like we should. If we loved like God did, nothing would stop us. We'd be running towards Nineveh at every chance, not away. But you might be sitting there and you might be thinking, well, I don't run because of that reason. I don't run because I don't love people like God does. I run for a different reason. And I think whatever reason it is, whether we're scared of what people might say or we don't know the words to say, whatever reason it is, ultimately it comes down to our love for ourselves more than our love for God and and the lost people that we're sent to love and reach. So again, there's this challenge of are we running for our life or are we running from our life? Are we going with what God has told us to do even though we can't see the full outcome of it? Or we're saying, uh, God's in to, to spoil my party, to ruin my life. So I'm going to run away. I'm going to the other side. I'm going as far away as possible. This is what Jonah does. Verse 3. Jonah got up. Here's the message. Okay, God, I understand what you want me to do. I'm going to Tarshish. From the Lord's presence, he says. And, of course, if you know the word of God, you can't get away from God's presence. But he's trying. He went down to Joppa found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. I mean, there's a map on the screen now, and this is as far away as it gets. You've got Israel there, and you've got where he's supposed to go. is to Nineveh, across to the east, and he goes as far west as possible. And this is the craziness of this story. He goes as far west. This is like the edge of the known world at this time. That's how far Tarshish is away. I heard one commentator say, it's like, we have this saying, the Timbuktu. It's like, this is, Tarshish is like the Timbuktu of this time. It's just, just out there. It's just like, if you're going to go somewhere, head out to Timbuktu. Head out to Tarshish. It's just like, it's as far away as you can get. And this is where Jonah goes. Again, it's the craziness of this story. A prophet, God's man, running away as far as he can to somehow get away from God. We read this story at home and... Um, one of the things that Harry Aldous has um, hung on to is, is this distance between Nineveh and Tarshish. Um, and they're just so far apart from each other. And so whenever he says, you know, we have, I love you, and you know, you might say, I love you to the moon and back. Well, his thing is, I love you to Nineveh and back. 
He always loves people to Nineveh and back and Nineveh and back and Nineveh and back because in his mind, that's as far away as possible. And I think it's just like a great picture of when we're, at, when we're going to Tarshish, when Jonah's going to Tarshish, he's going as far away as he possibly can from where God would want him to be. But of course we know you can't outrun God. You can't get away from God. Whenever you try to turn your back and go the opposite direction, God runs for you. He pursues you. Look at the parable in Luke 15 of the lost sheep. One goes missing, the shepherd goes out to look for the lost sheep. He looks through the Psalms and it talks about his love that pursues us, that tries to catch us up. He is in the business of finding the lost, the stray, the rebellious, the sinner. This is the heart of God. And so God's heart is not just for the Ninevites. God's heart is for Jonah as well. You think if you can run away from God, it doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I'll say that again. So if you think you can run away from God, it doesn't matter how far you go or intend to go. You can't outrun his grace. His presence is everywhere. Where you are, there he is, right there, pursuing you, trying to bring you back into his purpose for your life, trying to help you to come to your life rather than run from your life. Jonah's trying to run away, run away from God. And it says, I love this bit. It says he paid the fare to the ship. He went down into it to go to Tarshish. Running from God, the life will always cost you. There's always a price to pay to run from God. You might think there is a price to pay to follow God where he wants you to go, but it's nothing compared to the price of running from him. So this morning I want to ask, what area of your life are you running from God? How are you trying to escape his presence? Are you running for your life, towards him, or are you running from your life, away from him? What obedience at the moment is, seems like a bit of a life taker, and God is asking you to trust him? Because he can see something you can't see. He knows something you don't know. It's too easy for us to, to pay the price. And head to Tarshish, thinking that we can get away from God. Get away from his relentless pursuit of us. But we will be running our entire life only to realise God is just there. With his grace ready to take us back and use us for his purposes. As we go over these next few weeks, we're going to understand that the book of Jonah is primarily about God's um, relentless mercy. God's incredible grace. God's incredible pursuit of us and of Jonah. He has mercy towards his enemies. The baddest, the most hate-filled people. God sends Jonah to, to Nineveh, to, to his own enemies, to say, repent, I want to take you back. God shows them mercy. And he does it through this coward, Jonah. He does it for the sailors as well. And ultimately, he does it for Jonah. When Jonah runs, God doesn't give up on Jonah. Instead, he shows him mercy. Again and again. God saves Jonah from himself and brings him back to the center of his purpose for his life. And so the good news today is that if you're running from your life, if you're running from God's plan for it, God's purposes for it, God has mercy for you. The way back is full of his kindness and his grace and his mercy.
stop, don't run that way, is not a command that should make us feel like our life is being taken from us, but rather a command that should help us to see that God wants to maximise our life with him. It's full of love. It's more love than we could ever understand or know. And so I encourage you to listen to that voice this morning, to obey it today, to turn around and follow the way you know you should go. Are you running for your life or are you running from your life? God's kindness and his love towards you is like nothing else. And he wants you to turn around and to see him, to see the purpose he has for you. Because it's not just going to maximize your life, it's going to maximize the life of so many other people as well. Let's pray together. Lord God, again, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the example you've given us in Jonah of how you give mercy again and again. You give grace again and again. God, when we turn and run, when we choose not to do the things we know we should be doing, or we choose to continue to do the things we know we shouldn't be doing, God, we thank you that your love and your grace is right there behind us, beckoning us back towards you and your purpose for us. God, I pray this morning that we would know you and that we would love you and we would serve you the way we are supposed to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning at church and uh, I pray this morning has been encouraging for you and that you have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.